0: Warning. The podcast you are about to listen to exceeds the recommended daily allowance of puns for the average man or woman.
1: You have been warned.
0: <coughs> this episode of Tales from the Pigshed is brought to you by Samuel's Succulent Smoker. <coughs> Simply place your pork within the champ for that sweet, aromatic, smoky taste. (laughs) Hello. Hello.
1: Welcome to the Pig Shed.
0: Well-structured stories with strong foundations in fiction and piled high with hearth-warming heritage.
1: Ooh, three wood-based puns in one sentence. Well done, Tim. We can go home now if you like. Yay. Just kidding. Oh. We're here to bring you two stories inspired by one of the historical blue plaques from the fine city of Norwich, one from myself and one from this beard with legs attached. You're just jealous. Beard envy is a wicked affliction. Today's plaque is located on Timber Hill.
0: Your delivery there was a bit wooden, Shay. I hate you. Sticks and stones, Shay. Sticks and stones.
1: <laughs> Timberhill is an area of town that was once a swine market, eh? where farmers from all over Norfolk would bring their fine pig flesh for sale. Shh, 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 the pigs will hear you. Sorry. Obviously we'd never sell our pigs. Unless we got a really big gas bill or something. They are our friends and companions.
0: Delicious friends and companions.
1: Yes. Then Timberhill became a place where people could buy and sell timber. Hence Tim's many, many wood-based puns today
0: that is the root of them.
1: I've had enough of this. Can't you branch out of it? Oh God.
0: <laughs> so the plaque we're focusing on today is outside number 33, Timber Hill. This building has stood for 300 years and its appearance remains today much as it was when it was built, making it an excellent example of what the area looked like at the time.
1: It has been many things over the years. At uh, one time it was a pub called the Red House, also a lodging place where people could rent a room. It's also been a cafe, a restaurant, a tailor's, a picture framers, a museum, and today it is a shoe shop.
0: We like it because it's a monument to the last 300 years and it's life isn't over yet. It's not just confined to the history books, it's still a part of the fabric of the city. This building has seen a lot and I'm sure has many secrets to tell, if walls could speak. So, without further ado, and by your leave Seriously? Okay, that one was iffy. I'll concede the point.
1: Tenuous, Tim. Shoot me. Just tell the story, mate.
0: She awoke before dawn, just as always, as her husband was getting up. Her eyes were still closed, a trick she'd taught herself, as he slipped from the sheets, taking one blanket with him to stave off the chill. He'd go to the next room to wash and dress, like he always did, so as not to wake her. She never let him see this was pointless, that she woke at the same time as him each morning. He wanted to do something for her, a small thing, but it was kind, and there was little other chance for kindness in a life such as theirs. So she lay there and pretended to sleep, though it was only a short while before she would need to rise also. There were chores waiting, and the two maids would go on snoring till mid-morning if she didn't shake them from their cots. There was much work to do. The fires must be lit, breakfast made for the lodgers, and the bar put to order. Today was market day. Once the men had set up their places, they would be seeking a swift drink to set up themselves as well. If she was not there and ready to serve them, they would take their money elsewhere. The Red House could not afford that. Yet still, she did not rise her life was what it was. She wasn't given to lamenting her place or how hard she must work, and she had always been far too practical for dreams or fancies. She was landlady, cook, server, wife. She had her duties, and she did them. This is how it was, how it had always been, had been, until a young man had taken up lodgings at the Red House. He was very young and full of pride, calling himself a professor of music. Since his arrival, these brief moments where she lay in bed had become something she couldn't quite understand. She kept her eyes closed and strained to listen, trying to catch sounds of his stirring in the still air. He would usually rise just after her husband had left. This morning, though, she feared that would not be the case. He had been drunk the night before, returning late after the doors had been locked. He'd hammered on them and demanded entrance, upsetting the other lodgers and her husband. She'd gone to let him in, thinking she'd quiet him with a few sharp lashes of her tongue, but at the door she found he had a woman in tow. This she was not going to allow, not in her lodging house. A look sent the girl running and a cannon of insults followed her down the street. Then she turned her displeasure on to him. He protested, indignant as only drunk men can be, until she threatened to turn him out then and there. He muttered his apologies and slunk off to bed, his great pride bruised. Would that pride keep him from rising now? Or the drink keep him down? She listened. Rain pattered against the roof, and she thought about getting up. Then there was the scrape of wood on wood and the squeak of metal hinges opening. He was awake. Her whole body tensed in anticipation, willing the silence to pass. Then it began. The first notes rose up from below as he drew the bow across the violin strings. She rose up with them. She didn't know the piece, if it was his or by one of the great masters he loved. It didn't matter. She had never known music like this. She floated above the sheets without touching the cold air. The landlady fell away with the cook and the server. The wife ceased to be a wife. The Red House, its lodgers and patrons, the maids and her husband were gone. She was somewhere she had never been before and there she was alone, contented and transformed first time she'd listened like this, it had felt like a betrayal, leaving all that she was tied to behind even for only a moment. But each morning had brought new music, and a new place, and a new her. When she felt this way, she could not understand how she lived her life in every other hour but this. It built up inside her until she buried her head into the pillow and wept. And then old Toby and his wife were up and banging on the walls and shouting to silence the music, and the spell was broken. Mistress Leach swung her legs out of bed and strode across the room to the door. No more of that noise now, if you please, Professor, she called down the stairs in the hallway. The music stopped. Mistress Leach sighed. If he kept disturbing the other lodgers like that, She would have to turn him out.
1: Oh, thank you for the story, Tim. It's great to hear about a Norwich landlady. We were talking recently about how only two of the 40 Norwich blue plaques specifically commemorate women.
0: Yes, a reliable source tells me that women in the past were not allowed to be the named licensee of a public house, mainly because it was felt at the time this was indecent. If you have a woman in close proximity to alcohol for any length of time, Apparently she will inevitably become a prostitute.
1: It's a very real problem. Oh no, wait, it's never been a problem. Thankfully, times have moved on. Uh, But due to these prevalent attitudes in the past, stories and records of working women tended not to be kept, so now are mostly lost to us.
0: It was common in the 19th century for a landlord to maintain his trade simultaneously, leaving his wife to do the actual running of the pub. So in many cases, these men were landlords in name only, and their wives ran the show.
1: Somehow, against all the odds, managing not to become a prostitute in spite of all that booze. (laughs) Remarkable.
0: As well as customers, the landlady would often also have lodgers to deal with, as it was common at the time for people to rent accommodation in public houses, as owning property was beyond the reach of much of the population. Therefore, people had to resort to renting at exorbitant prices with strangers. Thank god we no longer have to live like Oh, no, wait.
1: It is the circle of life, Tim. One day, the majority of people in the world will live once again in relative poverty, deprived of access to decent health care and good nutrition, whilst only a tiny, wealthy percentage... Yeah, never mind.
0: In light of the fact that we're recording this before the general election, perhaps we should consider holing up here in the pig shed and never setting foot outside it again, just in case.
1: Perhaps. Well, it's an option, at least. Well, here's a story while we think about it. So, my mate Oz has a friend called Kit, who works in a bank, and he moved into a house once quite near Timberhill. He did wonder at the time why the rent was so cheap, but his long-term boyfriend had just left him and he really needed somewhere, so he didn't ask too many questions. It was a small house, and somehow it contained within it two other people, two other lives, but Kit thought it looked reasonably clean and tidy, so he went for it. The first of the other residents whom he met was Babs, a Russian woman, who, judging by the many small bottles and bunches of herbs stashed about the kitchen, seemed to be into alternative medicine. Babs said she was delighted to meet him, and made him a rum cocktail without even asking. Kit didn't really want a cocktail, but he's a polite young man, so he drank it anyway. No sooner had he done so than a great sleepiness overcame him, and he excused himself to stumble up to bed. His first night in that house, he dreamt he was aboard a ship with a single great sail, Only the sea it sailed on was a city and he could spy the streetlights beneath the water. Then he dreamt that his little sister bought him a talking goat, but that is less relevant to our story. He woke to the delicious smell of frying food and followed his nose down to the kitchen. There he found a plate full of scrambled eggs and roasted cherry tomatoes and a steaming mug of tea. He also found a large cat. The cat looked at him, looked at the plate, then jumped down off the table and scampered away up the stairs. Kit didn't remember the landlord mentioning pets, but he didn't mind terribly, though he is a bit allergic. He had some muesli, and when he left the house to go to work, the plate of breakfast was still sat cooling on the table. He set off down the street. Somehow he took a wrong turning, not yet being familiar with this part of town, and he was late for work. Harry, a new guy who'd just started there, had covered for him. So Kit thanked him and sat down at his desk to tackle another day of local banking. When Kit returned home that evening, he found Bab stirring something that smelled weird in the kitchen. She greeted him and then asked, "'Don't you eat breakfast?' "'I'm sorry,' said Kit. "'Alice made you breakfast this morning,' said Babs. "'You didn't eat it.' "'Oh,' said Kit. "'I didn't realise. How kind. "'Is Alice in? I should apologize." "'Room next to mine,' said Babs. "'Kit went upstairs and knocked on Alice's door. "'Her voice said, "'Come in.' "'He went in. "'The room was dim and full of unlit candles. "'On the bedspread sat the cat. "'The room was otherwise unoccupied.' Unsure what to do, Kit scratched the cat behind the ears and said to the room at large, sorry about breakfast, I didn't realise it was for me. That's quite all right," said the cat. Kit went back downstairs. Babs made him another rum cocktail. Kit drank it without protest. He soon became very tired and went off up to bed. That night he dreamt that he was soaring through the sky in a huge hot air balloon, but the stars were street lamps and the Milky Way a river of headlights. Then he dreamt about Harry the new guy at work, but we shan't go into that now. The next morning a similar pattern, delicious smells, breakfast on the table. This time Kit ate it. The cat looked at him approvingly. He left the house and was once again late for work, which was strange as he felt sure he'd memorised the route. Once again Harry the new guy covered for him. Kit offered to buy Harry a drink after work to say thank you. They spent a very pleasant evening eating tiny dishes of tapas and staring at each other quite a lot. When Kit returned home it was almost midnight. He was a bit drunk. The house was dark. From upstairs he could hear voices, rhythmic and strange, so he went up the stairs. The sound was coming from Babs's bedroom. He knocked on the door, and when there was no answer, he opened it a crack and peeped inside. Babs, and a woman he didn't recognise, were sitting in the centre of a pentagram chalked on the floorboards. They were chanting in what sounded to Kit like an ancient primal language, although now and then he thought he caught the odd word, like Chelsea and Tottenham Hotspur. After a moment the women ceased chanting, opened their eyes, stretched and got to their feet. It was then that Babs noticed Kit. "'Kit!' she cried. "'Dear boy, put the kettle on, would you?' "'What are you doing?' asked Kit. "'And who are you?' to the woman he didn't recognise. "'This is Alice, silly,' Babs replied. "'Go and put the kettle on.' Kit did so. As he was warming the teapot, Babs came into the kitchen, followed by the cat, who hopped into Kit's lap and settled down to sleep. "'What were you doing up there?' asked Kit. "'Looking into the future,' said Babs. "'At the football results. "'Just something we do from time to time to keep the wolf from the door.' I don't understand, said Kit, so Babs explained. She and Alice were the remaining two-thirds of an ancient Norfolk coven. Their third housemate, Kit's predecessor, had gone away to fight demons in Cromer, and they needed someone to pay the rent. It is also not possible to have a coven of two, three being a magic number, so they had needed someone else to move in as soon as possible to redress the balance of the house. This person had been Kit, and they hadn't known how to tell him about the whole witchcraft thing, but they had liked him, so here he was. Well, Kit was a bit freaked out for a few days and the women got anxious that he might leave. But he didn't. He stayed at the house for two years until he and Harry moved in together, and the third member of the coven defeated the forces of darkness on the coast and returned home from Cromer. And every night that he stayed in that house, Kit would sleep so deeply and dream so very brightly, dream that the house itself had grown long, strong legs and was striding over the city, cradling them all in its old and secret walls.
0: Ooh, thank you for the story, Shay. Um... Kit and Harry—that's that's the Kit and Harry that I know, the ones I met at the barbecue last month.
1: Oh uh, yes, that's them. Yeah, with right. the, Kit has the earring.
0: Kit, yeah, the earring, and, yeah. and Harry with the very blonde hair.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's him. Yeah. Okay,
0: yeah. Uh, so I can actually check with them if Oz is a real person. I can ask them if they know someone called Oz, and they'll tell me.
1: If this is still an issue for you, then yeah, of course you can. They've known oh, him for years. Good,
0: good.
1: You'll be meeting him soon anyway. He's going to come and check up on you while I'm away.
0: Check up on me.
1: Yeah, you know, just make sure you're okay.
0: All right. Yeah. uh, For that matter, in fact, this is going to be the last podcast to feature both Shay and I together for a while. Shay is going to visit the wild boars of Hungary for a couple of months.
1: I am indeed to learn swine herding techniques and sample local wines, many local wines. But fear not, Tim will carry on telling you stories about Norwich, and I'll send you a postcard or two.
0: So. For now, Shay, goodbye.
1: Will you look after the pigs, Tim? Of course. Will you drink all the whiskey, Tim?
0: Of course. I thought so. So join me next time for some stories that are just to die for.
1: I'm so glad that I get a break from your puns for a while. Goodbye. I'll
0: call you with more. Goodbye. (laughs)